Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. That feeling and those skills that I developed and honed while I was, you know, a boiler room guy gave me the confidence and the skills to be able to pick up the phone and call people in offices that I had no business talking to, or there, nor should they take my call. But, you know, I had no fear because I needed to get it done. And what was the worst? That they say no, that they turn me down. Okay, fine. They turn me down and they say no, I'll call again and try to do it another way. And no, it's just a temporary answer for that particular moment. And that's what people forget sometimes. You know, sometimes people take no as indefinite trajectory for themselves or indefinite answer for that particular situation. And it's not. It's simply what that person gave you at that particular moment in time. It doesn't mean a damn thing about what they could give you a week from now, a month from now, a year from now. Thanks all for tuning in to Dreamcatchers where we make things happen. Dreamcatchers was formally launched to unlock the hidden potential in successful, self-motivated individuals who desire to take their life's work to the next level but need support to evolve. We are a collective group of professionals with various backgrounds that use our talents to assist those individuals in realizing their wildest dreams by providing education, inspiration, and direction. This podcast is where we share the lessons we've learned along the way to catching our dreams and give you some context around the how and the why to each approach to put you further ahead on the journey to catching your dreams. Are you ready? Hey, everybody, and welcome to the Dreamcatchers podcast. I'm your host, Jerome, and I've got the pleasure of having my man from Charlotte, John Azar, in the building again. John, what's going on, brother? What's shaking, man? What's shaking? Thanks so much for having me. Look, they just dropped a new podcast. It's called Breaking Resistance. My episode came out this week. I'm thrilled that we've got such an amazing guy hanging out with us. John, I mean, for the listeners who may not have caught your episode last year, give them a little bit about your background and what you're currently working on. Yeah, man. Yeah, thanks so much. And yeah, your episode, dude, was fire. If anybody after the show, if they want to go check it out, it's Breaking Resistance. It's actually called the Jalal Azar Podcast. Uh, present Breaking Resistance. You can either find us by Breaking Resistance or Jalal Azar podcast. We are on all platforms. We are almost there with Apple, but we're on Spotify, Google podcast, all the other stuff. Yeah, a little bit about me. It's I'm a managing member of MacVenture Partners, founder and managing partner of Peak 15 Capital. Both my firms are obviously in the multifamily industry. The original firm, MacVenture Partners, my brother, who is the CEO and partner in this, We've been syndicating assets in the Southeast since 2010. My firm, Peak 15 Capital, is basically a capital allocator 
uh, for sponsors and syndicators across the nation, not just the Southeast. We specialize in working with sponsors on all sorts of capital stack allocation. We work with institutional capital and private equity capital and help them get the equity financing they need for their projects. And it's multifamily specialty, but we get projects across the board. We get hospitality projects, we get industrial projects, we get mixed use project. And we certainly get a lot of ground up development projects too. So that's kind of the 30,000 foot view, brother. Man. So you're putting money together with people who have deals and you on this new venture of helping. And tell- we actually co-syndicate ourselves as well. So we actually also will co-GP. We have a special purpose vehicle through Peak 15 Capital that we would go in and co-GP with other in the ground sponsors and GPs. And we bring part of the EMD money to the table, as well as the equity financing to the table in certain situations. So that we have to, the project actually have to make sense to us and we, it has to underwrite well for us. And so not many projects will, we would be interested in that situation and not many projects would require a second GP. So if certain projects who require would be good to add a second GP and the GPs themselves, the sponsor approach us and say, Hey, John, would you be interested in co-GPing on this? those situations will entertain as well. So yeah, so we've got a lot on the table for sure. Man, all right. So you're partnering to do deals, bringing money to deals. And now you got this exciting new venture, the podcast. Yes, sir. Right? Everybody's got a podcast. Why is your podcast different, man? You know, I felt like there was, I could have very easily, obviously, put a podcast together to talk about our industry. I mean, I talk about our industry all the time. I'm on several other podcasts talking about our industry, the multifamily industry, which is the industry that I love dearly. You know, I am such a fan and a disciple of our industry that it never feels like work to me ever, no matter what we do every day I wake up, no matter how hard we work, you know, no matter how many hours I put in, it's just it feels great, because I love the industry and I love what we do. However, I wanted to address something that I personally have a very personal passion and interest about, which is the journey. You know, my life has been about the journey and will continue to be about the journey. And I always revel and enjoy the journey so much more than the destination per se, because that's really what kind of jazzes me up is, and finding out about other people's journey is really where, to me, that's where the money is. It's kind of diving into the background of people, what got them here, what pained them, what kind of tribulations and trials and heartaches did they go to to get to where they are today? To me, that's an incredible lesson and that's an incredible story. And every now and then, of course, we sprinkle it in with some current stuff, what they're working on. You know, if there's a deal to be talked about, that's great. But a lot of times, to be honest with you, Jerome, we talk about them because I'm interested in them. I Just like I was interested in you and your journey and your incredible you know, story and your incredible journey on, when you came on our podcast. So that to me is where sort of the, the heart and passion is. So that's why I created Breaking Resistance. For sure. So, you know, you've recorded the whole first season. You know, what are some of the big takeaways? What are the surprises that you've picked up through that journey? Because, you know, getting through that many episodes in such short amount of time is pretty intense. So there had to be something you took away, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, listen, I, I took away that the fact that everybody discovers something about themselves when it comes up again in their life that they didn't maybe think about or they didn't never really previously thought about within themselves. It's funny to say that because it's, you know, you think we know ourselves best and we do, but I think we sometimes tend to compartmentalize and put things away as life moves on because 
you know, it, whether it's either too painful or just something that we felt like we checked the box on and we just want to kind of put it away in a silo and move on. And when it comes back up, it's always a surprise what happens when things like that come back up and in a good way, all of them in a good way. Obviously, we're not trying to create a get your Kleenex kind of show and dab your eyes, but we certainly had some very emotional times on the podcast. And it's great because that's the raw emotion. That's the real stuff that comes out that I'm that I was interested in, in addressing and on breaking resistance because the journey and the background and sort of the road to accomplishing and doing is so intriguing to me. So, yeah, I mean, that's one of the takeaways. The other takeaway is that I know that I am surrounded by, I am blessed to be surrounded by so many great, great, fantastic people in my life that I can be blessed with, you know, reaching out to them and learning from them and learning their story. And I am forever thankful for having those people in my life. So that's the other takeaway for me. Wow. And so I think I wouldn't do you justice if I let you come on the podcast and not talk about your journey. I assume that you've had to break some resistance along the way. Let's go down the path a little bit. Tell the listeners like how you got to a place where, you know, you're able to be a general partner in deals. That's what GP stands for and have some net worth and liquidity that allows you to do, you know, these multi-million dollar projects. Yeah. I mean, we all have a unique way to get to where we are. Obviously it's, and some of us get there quicker. Some of us get there faster. Some of us take a circular route to get there. Some of us don't. It's all good as long as we're sort of, as long as we all get to where in a place that makes us happy and hopefully feel successful and do the things that we love on a day-to-day basis, regardless of the money, regardless of what, you know, of the deals. Because at the end of the day, we get, you got to be happy, man. You know, happiness is the number one thing. For me, you know, my journey started about probably seven, 8,000 miles away, you know, across the ocean. And in a country called Syria, which is unfortunately now known for a long-standing civil war that's been going on for the past six or seven years. But yeah, I grew up overseas and my family immigrated to the States when I was 16 years old. So, and had a very, very sort of tough transition. I, it was obviously even times when we were, I grew up in Syria were you know, not without their tribulations. And that's what I meant by the journey. Sometimes when I talk about my stuff and, you know, growing up in a time where there was war and civil conflict and tanks in the streets and soldiers and shootings. And, you know, these were, got normalized in my mind and they don't strike me as odd or interesting or a wow moment until I guess I talk about them with someone else. And someone says, wait, what? Like, that's not normal that you know, walking from school and seeing somebody get shot or seeing soldiers on the street frisking people or seeing tanks or waking up in the middle of the night to a gun battle and having to hide under your bed because there are bullets coming in. That's that's not normal. That should not be an experience of any child. It was mine, but, you know, hey, at the time I was like, ah, that's life. That's what's just kind of what you go through. But obviously that's not. And I was fortunate and blessed to have a great family and to find my way to America with them. Even though at the time, I really didn't think of it as a blessing as a 16 year old teenager who was plucked out of their sort of social network and had to learn a brand new language. I didn't know English when I moved to the States at 16. So having to restart everything, learning a new language, a new beginning, new humble beginning. Economically, we didn't exactly come with a lot and we didn't start out a lot. You know, we started that our journey in the United States started at a C-class apartment, living at a C-class apartment in Charlotte. We kind of moved from there, but you know, it was tough. It was not necessarily the American dream came at a high cost, I feel like for all of us, but it was a cost worth paying because my dad 
sought a better life for all of us here. And, you know, none of us wanted to, none of my siblings and I wanted to face the fact that we, that all of this was done in vain. And so the fire and the drive to do better and to find the way through life to at least be successful enough to, you know, give pride to our parents and for ourselves is what kind of drove us all into uh, becoming what we are today. And again, we're all blessed to be in great positions. And my, all my siblings, I'm very, very proud of all of them and love them all. And that we all worked to get to where we are, but we all had our special journey. So I'll stop there and see if you had any other questions. <laughs> so, I mean, there's a long way from immigrating from a country that's in war to doing multi-million dollar deals. You spent time in Boston. You did the brokerage company. Yeah. Like give them, yeah, yeah. give them the insight into the things that worked and didn't work. And let's have our own breaking <laughs> resistance podcast here. I like it. I like it. The interviewer is being interviewee. I like that. I like that. Yes, sir. Yeah, man. It's well. The journey is really. I had to get through. Obviously, I had to get through high school. I had to get through school. I had no idea, as I said, with you know earlier on. I had to actually. I didn't even know how to even get into, I had no idea how to get into college. I had, you know, some help from my parents, you know, they, who they didn't know much either. And there's no fault to them. I worked my way through community college, got into a four-year college, graduated that. And somehow by the grace of God made it into actually any college. And, uh, <laughs> and, and, <laughs> and then managed to finish it. And uh, yeah, I ended up working a couple of different things. I worked with my brother a bit. I worked with a technology company for a bit and uh, moved around all over the place, lived in places like Seattle and a few other places. And then ended up moving to Boston to finish my education. I wanted to get my MBA and kind of pursue a career in finance and investments, which I did. Had fantastic experiences working for great companies. Again, it was I had to put my time in the corporate world. I had to put my time in, in the boiler room, literally the boiler room, which is where I sort of got started in sort of the finance and investment realm and I work in a trading floor and making 200 cold calls a day. And that's taught me a lot. That taught me a lot. It taught me a lot about myself. It taught me a lot about people. It taught me a lot about accepting no and not being afraid of no. In fact, almost relishing on the no because it became a challenge. And also, you know, last but not least is, finding the comfort in the uncomfortable. And that's, which is something one of my early mentors in finance, one of the first lessons that I guess I was taught in, when I got into the finance industry, one of my early mentors and, and bosses used to tell me, you got to get uncomfortable every single day to get to where you want to be. If you're not uncomfortable, if you're not putting yourself in an uncomfortable situation, you're not doing it right. And he meant it literally. It wasn't like this conceptualized uncomfort. It wasn't like a deal. It wasn't like let me see if I can like get into like this banking situation that's slightly pushing my comfort zone. It was more literal than that for him. He wanted me to take a different route on the way home. He wanted me to come in the office and pick up the phone before I even finished my coffee and dial someone I didn't know and see what happens on the end of the line. You know, that's the kind of stuff that rattles you first thing in the morning and completely sets you on a different trajectory for the rest of your day. And that's the kind of stuff that sort of I broke my teeth in, in the industry and moved around from there. I uh, opened my first structured finance company with some partners of mine from the finance industry that we did. And that was my first entree into commercial real estate. The structured finance company was really working with developers 
in financiers into structuring large scale mixed use developments in the Eastern seaboard. So our clients were big developers out of New York City, out of Boston, who wanted to put together projects, multi, multi-million dollar project, and they needed structured finance for it. They need to figure out pretty much the whole capital stack structure. And we were vastly underqualified when we first launched this company. Vastly underqualified. What do you yeah. mean? You didn't have everything figured out? All the I's dotted and T's crossed? Oh, brother, we were the personification of fake it until you make it. Yeah, we knew finance and we knew investments, but we had no freaking idea what the hell we were doing with commercial real estate. We had no idea about commercial real estate. We had no idea about feasibility studies, which we had to do. You know, we had no idea how to evaluate, you know, something and bring the right capital structure to it. And from a commercial real estate standpoint. But man, we were, we ended up sitting in people's offices and we, again, it was so funny and rattling and scary and exciting at the same time. We were, I remember to this day sitting in our first big meeting in New York city at a developer's office with my two partners, Noel and Neil. And we looked at each other. They left us. They were actually got us into the conference room and they went to get the CEO of this, by the way, this development company is like owns millions of square footage in New York City is that one of the biggest developers in New York City. I mean, we had no business sitting with those guys, none. If they knew how little we knew, they would have kicked us out too sweet out of their office. So, but, you know, we were sitting there, you know, with our suit and tie and waiting on them. And we looked at each other and, and I said to my other partner, Noel, I said, what in the hell are we doing here? <laughs> so... <laughs> And he was like, no, it was like, let's just roll with it. Maybe let's just roll with it. You got this. We know what we're doing. He was like, we got a plan. We know what we're doing. We know what we can bring to the table. And that's what we did. And, uh, you know, we ended up doing a, a huge transaction. One of the biggest transactions of our early startup with them ended up taking about a year, year and a half to formalize. But, you know, we ended up getting our biggest paycheck, my biggest paycheck of my life out of that transaction at the time. And we continued to do some cool stuff for a couple of years until 2008 hit. And then our business pretty much disappeared <laughs> overnight. What's up tribe? It's your host, Jerome. I just want to let you know that we put together a free 15 point checklist for exiting the matrix. Jump on over to dreamshouldbereal.com in order to pick your free copy up. Let's get back to the show. Wait, 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 wait. Before you get there, how in the world does somebody who says, I didn't know what I was doing, close a transaction so large? Like, what? <laughs> we had to figure it out. Like, talk to me. Well, I mean, yeah. I mean, that was my internal demon, obviously. I knew what I was doing. It's not like I didn't know absolutely nothing about what I was doing. But, you know, it's that voice inside of you sometimes that gives you that doubt and say, you know, I don't know. Can you do this? Like, I don't know if you can do this. I really don't know. Like, what do you, like? This is so weird. This is so screwed up. I don't know if I can do this. That's the voice that was for me was actually came out and <laughs> came out in loud voice, not just my internal voice. <laughs> so, but of course we all knew what to do. And obviously we got it done and we knew how to put the money together. We knew how to put the deal together. We knew on a, a holistic way how to put things together. We didn't know how to exactly we we're going to execute, but obviously we figured it out. All three of us were enough, we did enough of the hustle and we had enough of the knowledge of that world to be able to go out and execute, but we were just scared. I mean, and, and it's fine. It's fine. And I guess that's what I want to convey to everybody is like, it's okay to be scared. It's okay to feel inferior. It's okay to feel like you don't know what the hell you're doing. I felt that for so long. 
but it's not okay to stop. And it's not okay to let it stop you and not let you go forward. It's okay to feel scared, but it's not okay to freeze and not move forward. And that's what we didn't do is we didn't freeze and we moved forward. And, you know, that deal was essentially to put together a bunch of buildings that belonged to a college that the college controlled as both dormitories and administrative buildings. And we were supposed to string together almost two blocks worth in Boston for luxury mixed use condo development that was supposed to take place in that. And at the time, I mean, you know, the transaction doesn't sound that big now, but at the time it was huge for us. It was a 50 some million dollar transaction. And I mean, that was gigantic. That wasn't, by the way, that's not how much we got paid. That's just the transaction size. Again, you know, we figured it out, we put it together and we were blessed enough to kind of close it. Like I said, it took us a while to close it, but we did close it and we ended up moving on to bigger and better things from there. Like I said, until 2008 and until we were smacked dead in the face, you know. Like my man Tyson would say, it's, it's all fun and games until somebody gets punched in the face. <laughs> That's a real thing. Everybody's got a plan. But break that down for me, John. So you were doing boiler room stuff. You were making 200 cold calls a day. A shout out to all the financial services guys I work with who have a hard time doing their $150 a week. And you transitioned that. Call me and I'll tell you how to upgrade your, your calls. <laughs> <laughs> and so you transitioned to that. You transitioned to real estate, putting deals together. Like, did all the stuff that happened before prepare you for the new challenge? Of course. Of course it did. I mean, you know, that feeling and those skills that I developed and honed while I was, you know, a boiler room guy gave me the confidence and the skills to be able to pick up the phone and call people in offices that I had no business talking to, or nor should they take my call. But, you know, I had no fear because I needed to get it done. And what was the worst? That they say no, that they turn me down. Okay, fine. They turn me down and they say, no, I'll call again and try to do it another way. And no, is just a temporary answer for that particular moment. And that's what people forget sometimes. You know, sometimes people take no as indefinite trajectory for themselves or indefinite answer for that particular situation. And it's not, it's simply what that person gave you at that particular moment in time. It doesn't mean a damn thing about what they could give you a week from now, a month from now, a year from now. Persistency is the game. So, all right, we'll skip 2008. You go do a lot of business with your brother, but 2020 was a year of transformation for you, right? You mentioned we were sitting in the office with our suits on. You were a clean-shaving young buck back in the day. And I remember when I met you early in 2020, clean-shaven, and now you got one of the best beards in the industry. I don't think I've seen <laughs> you in a suit ever since then. So talk to me about this kind of coming out that's happening. Right. Like you've made a transition. You've adjusted a personal brand, you know, dapper gentleman. Like that's what I think about when I, when I think about John Azar. So talk to me about the transition that you made. I still got that John in the closet, baby. I can bring him out at any time. I just, you know, I just don't want to lose the beard anymore. <laughs> yeah. Look, man, I mean, the transition is that it's interesting what COVID taught all of us. And I think COVID was a big teacher for many, many people, not just for myself. 
We switched gears big time at MacVP during COVID, even before COVID. You know, even before COVID, Mac Venture Partners, we decided that my brother and I looked at the market and decided that the frothiness was just too much to bear and that we wanted to be net sellers for the most part until the foreseeable future, until we figure out what was going on. You know, what that meant to me essentially necessitated a need for me to kind of quench that deal thirst and deal hunger that I had, that I've always had. You know, I'm a deal junkie. I'm a deal guy. I've always been a deal guy. So for us to say that we are not going to be doing acquisitions anymore meant that I had to go out and find my fix somewhere else. And that was already in the works, which is Peak 15 Capital. Peak 15 Capital got really established in 2019, but I didn't end up doing much work until until 2020. I mean, we started working with, early on, we started working with hospitality. I was some hospitality guys that were looking for some hotel financing. And when I say we, I mean me. So because because we, we all know when we start a company, it's it army is of you. one. It is it is yeah, it's an army of one, and that's what it was for a while. It was me, and that's okay. I loved it because I loved being the army of one for a while. And then COVID hit, and we had to switch gears and had to kind of upgrade everything. We had to pretty much come to market with some really great relationship. I was blessed to be surrounded by sponsors who knew me already. I was blessed to have a reputation in the industry, which I still have. And I thank my lucky stars or it's not, obviously it's not luck, but you know, I thank the power of bees to put me in a position where I have a decent reputation with, and I will continue to safeguard that reputation with a lot of cohorts in the industry, a lot of other sponsors that know me well. And we'd started developing relationships and getting to start landing some projects that we can go out and fund for folks and start to learn about these exciting projects and what's out there and what's not working so even COVID, even during COVID, as it was in full rage in, you know, May, June timeframe, you know, I knew that people were still working on some stuff. You know, I knew people, I knew sponsors were still out looking. I knew people were still out on the hunt. They were still looking at assets. They were still looking at ways to get deals done. It doesn't matter whether we have masks on, not have masks on, schools are out, schools are in, businesses are closed, you know, evictions are moratoriums were in, eviction moratoriums were out. You know, it's business was getting done at the end of the day. So I loved sort of the rolling up the sleeves and trying to see if we can get to work and make a name for Peak 15 because I thought, hey, man, if I can get a, a startup like Peak 15 off the ground and operational and start making some headway in the industry during COVID, during a pandemic and survive into 2021, then you know, maybe I got something here. Maybe we got something you know, magical that we can really work on and develop and hone and, and grow. And that's what happened. And I'm so blessed and proud to be at this juncture. Wow. Wow. There's a lot there. And so did COVID change the way that you do business? Oh, absolutely. I think COVID changed the way that everybody does business in a good way. For me, I mean, I was blessed to, again, to launch a company of the nature that I launched, which is Peak 15, which is really essentially connecting the dots between bridging the gap between institutional capital, private equity capital, and sponsors on the ground. You know, it's, it was a great time because everybody was already geared to do virtual relationships development, you know, which was not as much done before pre-COVID. You know, I didn't have to go to New York and Boston and Dallas and knock on people's door in person and wait for them to accept me they were very willing and able and to accept me in, into their Zoom calls because it's, you know, a lot less invasive. And, you know, everybody was, you know, working about wearing from home, you know, wearing half pajamas, half business, you know, so, so it's all good. And that played perfectly into the scenario of what Peak 15 needed to be successful in the market and kind of develop our relationship and continue to hone those relationships. So yeah, COVID to me was 
to us was great. Obviously not to everybody. And it wasn't really good for us necessarily on the portfolio end. I mean, on Mac Venture Partner side, you know, we had a tough year. Um, we had a tough year for our portfolio of multifamily assets that we own. And, you know, with the leadership of my brother and the rest of the family and our integrated property management sister company, Capstone, you know, we were able to, you know, thank God, get that time and be ahead of it to some extent, be ahead of it, meaning be communicative with our investors and let them know what's going on. We were early adopters of sending proactive communications to our investors, even as early as middle of March of last year, we were sending out, started to send out communications about what we expect to happen in the portfolio and certain assets, you know, update about your investments and what we're doing, the eviction moratoriums, you know, what does that mean to your investment with us? You know, I'm sure it wasn't ideal. Our investors got paid less last year than what they normally would have gotten paid our distribution, but at least we were ahead of it to some extent, informed them. As GPs, as general partners of the deals, we did not get paid a penny last year out of our investments, but that's the risk you have to take sometimes as a sponsor and as a general partner. You have to make sure that your investors are taken care of before yourself. Well, you could do it the other way, but it's not recommended, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah, absolutely. You could do it the other way. Uh, oh, yeah, absolutely. A lot, and some people do, but I don't think they last too long in this industry. So. And I don't think they're able to go out and raise some more money from those investors or capitalize on their reputation. So, yes, you can do it if you're willing to sacrifice that. Yeah. So I want to go down this path earlier and I got sidetracked, but, you know, you come to this country, you know, you don't have second and third generation money that you're walking into and second and third generation relationships. You had to create all that. So how do you go from somebody who's, you know, let's just say it, a poor immigrant to a person who can walk into meetings with people who have hundreds of thousands, millions of dollars to invest and be comfortable sitting with them. Because I think that feeling of inadequacy comes up for a lot of us, right? Especially if we're first generation wealth builders. Yeah. Look, this is maybe germane or unique. Obviously it's unique to every one of us who have the confidence and the will in themselves. I never looked at myself as inadequate. Maybe that's my problem. And I don't mean that to sound like to make myself sound like I'm you know, that I always think that I'm the best thing since sliced bread. I don't, absolutely not. I have my doubts. I have my, you know, I have my demons. I have, God knows I have my demons and it's not that at all. I don't have fear of rejection. It's not built in me. Like, I'm, you know, I've always looked at life like, oh, look, man, what's the worst case scenario? Like I end up poor. Okay, fine. I end up getting a no. If a no is the top of my problems, then I have no business trying to pitch anything to anybody. Those feelings of inadequacies, they were in there, obviously, they played a role. If you did not have that fear, if you did not have that emotion inside of you that, oh my God, like, do I, you know, do I know what I'm doing? If you did not have that trepidation, you're not human. I mean, you know, all of us, and you probably would be walking into a situation and act, you know, a lot more stupid than you should, but that's healthy to have those feelings, but you know, you got to act. And that's, I think that's where I've always had that attitude of, you know, I can't have paralysis. You got to act and you got to move forward. And if the worst case is I fail, then I fail. You know, it's I'll get back up and do it again. It's, it's all right. It's not a big deal to fail. And, and I don't know if that came from the fact that I'm obviously that I'm an immigrant. You know, I don't know if it came from the fact that I looked at what my dad did for our family and how he sort of accomplished himself and what he did as an entrepreneur and 
you know, I guess failure is never something that my family has ever shied away from because getting up is always something that it was kind of ingrained in us. Like, yeah, it's all right. It's all right to fail. My family's never been like, you should never fail because that's just impossible. That's not a realistic bar for anybody to set. And anybody who tells you don't fail just doesn't know true success because everybody has to fail. I wish failure actually on everybody because it teaches you the best things about yourself and the worst things about yourself. Wow. So, you know, when I said the inadequacy and I might've used the wrong word, but you know, you were talking about, hey, we have no business being here when you were sitting with that developer the first time. And so just trying to figure out, like, how do you get the confidence to go in those meetings where you question whether or not you're actually supposed to be there? Because some people just, you know, they run away from it. It's like, oh, well, I'm not supposed to be there, so I'm not going. I guess for me is what's the alternative? If the alternative is turning away and walking out of that office would have completely destroyed any chance of us ever establishing a relationship with that person. You know, so you always got to look, what is it costing you? What's the opportunity cost to your failure? What's the opportunity cost to your, to succumbing to your, you know, doubts and fears. And so what are you giving up by not doing because you, you're letting fear hold you back? What is that doing for you? And to me, Nothing. I've always made that. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I've always made that decision based on that. I'm like, if I'm going to let fear drive me from sitting across from somebody or asking the question or asking for the business or asking for a date or whatever it might be, like, you know, if I'm going to let that stop me, then I'm never going to get anywhere. Like, you know, what's the alternative? They say no. Okay, say, say no. Who cares? You know? So I guess I don't, you know, I don't have an answer for you. I guess I'm just built that way. And some people are not. But there is a way to get there. Uh, there's a way to kind of the best way to get there is and to conquer those fears and to it's okay to have those internal voices. It's okay to have those doubts, but you have to learn to maneuver around them and shut them up at some point and move beyond it and get something done. And the only way I can advise to do that is think about the alternatives. Think of what's, what are you giving up by listening to your voices? What are you giving up by listening to your doubts? What are you giving up by listening to that doubting Thomas in you that is telling you you're going to fail and not trying. What are you giving up by not trying? Wow. Wow. All right. So this and more on the breaking resistance podcast is what you're telling us. We got to go over and tune into that thing, right? <laughs> this and more brother, this and more. Yeah, absolutely. Please would love you to tune in, to give us a rating, give us a follow check us out. Hopefully someday we'll catch up to you and your success on your podcast, man. And so it, yeah, would love that. I appreciate you guys even giving me a chance to listen to the podcast. Man, 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 man. So grateful for you to be in our network and to be the epitome of a dream catcher. You know, so many people talk about all the stuff they want to do and they think about this and they got this great idea, but they don't actually do anything with it. It remains a dream or they get stuck in this perpetual state of chasing things instead of actually catching them. But you've sat out to do things, big things, things that I don't know, maybe as a kid you question whether or not they were possible. And it sounds like sometimes you were in the meeting questioning whether or not they were possible. <laughs> and you get them done and, you know, you, you get on the other side of it and you look back and you're kind enough to take some time out and share those stories with people so that they can see the dream should be real. You give them the social proof. So, John, thank you so much for coming to hang out with me a little bit today. And, you know, if you've got any 
closing words or just one thing you want them to take away from this episode, here's your chance. No, man, I, I appreciate I appreciate you. I'm thankful for always giving me a chance and being in your network. I'm grateful to have people like yourself. I'm blessed to have them as have you as my friend. And I'm blessed to have people like yourself as my friends. And, you know, I'll, I'll tell people just, you know, don't let fear hold you back. Just don't. It's okay to have it. I still have it. It's okay to have those doubts. I have them. We all do, but don't let them stop you. There are so much more on the other side of that coin that is waiting for you if you just get over that little hill that you're letting kind of stay in front of you. Just keep pushing. And so, and I, I appreciate it. Thank you so much for having me. Everybody can reach me via my, all my social media. I'm on LinkedIn. I'm on Instagram. Peak15cap.com is the website where you can catch our podcast. You can also see what we're working on. We just actually relaunched our website. That's another thing that I wanted to mention. We just did a brand new launch of our website. Go check it out. It's peak15cap.com. And would love to uh, love to listen listen and, and hear from some of you guys. Awesome, 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 John. Thank you again. And to the listeners, your dreams should be real. We'll talk soon. Thank you for joining the tribe today. We would love to hear from you. Please don't forget to rate, like, and share. Perhaps someone you know could benefit from what we've discussed. Until the next time, remember that your dreams should be real. <laughs>